1 Corinthians 15, page 1225. In your Schofield Bible, page 1225. 1225. And let's stand as we read a few verses. 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. But which also ye are saved. Ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, how, first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, as I bow before you today, I do want to thank you for another day of life, another privilege to preach, and for each one that's gathered, Lord, for this service to celebrate the risen Lord. And I pray as we've met to worship that we would truly worship in spirit and in truth. And I pray you would deal with hearts and do that in hearts that needs to be done today. We'll thank you for what's accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'll talk to you today about the world's greatest event. If you ask the world that, uh, you'd probably get varied answers. Some would say putting man on the moon. That was certainly uh, quite an accomplishment. Uh, among Christians, many would say the virgin birth. That certainly was important, but that was not the greatest event. Others would say his life, his sinless life, and that too was certainly necessary, but that's not the most important event. Others would say his death, and as important as that is, the place where sin was paid for, that is not the, most, uh, the greatest event. Because may I say to you that if Jesus had died on a cross and that was the end of it, then there would be no salvation. I say to you today, the world's greatest event is the resurrection. The fact that Jesus came out of the grave. Necessary for our faith, verse 17 said, If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you're yet in your sins. It is that that you must believe in order to be saved, that if I shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. It is not enough just to believe in his death. You must believe that he overcame death and came out of the grave in order to be saved. Well, uh, uh, this certainly was the greatest event of all. As Jesus came out of the tomb, uh, and uh, is alive today. Now, this event was typified 
in the Old Testament. The book of Leviticus 23, you can read about it. There where uh, God talks about the, uh, the Feast of First Fruits. Uh, the law of God was given in three parts. We have the commandments that uh, we're familiar with. Thy shall not kill, thy shall not steal, and so forth. And then we have uh, the judgments that judge the social life of Israel. Uh, the day-by-day -day laws that they were to live by. And then the ordinances that typified the, uh, God's plan of redemption. And uh, the Feast of first fruits was a special feast. Uh, when they planted their crops and it come time to harvest the crops, uh, concerning wheat or whatever, they were to bring the first fruits unto God. And they would wave that, off, wave that as an offering to God. Uh, that uh, sheaf of wheat or whatever it may be, uh, recognizing that God had uh, brought forth the crop, that God had blessed them, and the Lord had performed a resurrection. He had typified the resurrection of Christ because you plant that little seed in the ground, that little dried up, swiveled up grain of corn, and uh, that, that corn will go through a process of death. But out of that death will burst forth new life. And so uh, the, the God was teaching them a, a lesson on resurrection. I've told you the story about the professor that stood before his class and he held up two little brown seeds. And he began to explain uh, you know, the, what those seeds consisted of, the properties of those seeds. And he said, class, these seeds are exactly alike. They're alike in color, they're alike in size, they're alike in, in what uh, is, the seeds are made of. These seeds are identical. But he said there's one great difference in these seeds. One of these seeds was manufactured in a laboratory. And if I plant that seed, nothing will happen. But if I plant the other seed, there's something in that seed called life. And that seed will burst forth and, and grow forth into life. That seed will experience a resurrection. God was teaching them that great truth. Now he also taught it in number 17. We find that there was a group of people that rose up against Moses and, and Aaron and says, you take too much upon you. We, we're all holy and, and we, we think we ought to, uh, you know, uh, share in the responsibility and so forth. You can read about it in the Bible there. And, and it displeased God so greatly that God caused the earth to burst open and they dropped into hell alive. But anyway, in order for the Lord to establish his plan for, for Israel and for the nation, and uh, he told them to take a rod. Now the shepherd had, had the rod. The rod was kind of a club instrument. And, and the staff was the stick with the crook on it. And he said, I want you to take, take each of those rods, put a name of, of each tribe on those rods, and lay it up before the Lord. 
and uh, the rod that I choose will be evident. And so uh, uh, they, they laid the rods up before the Lord and then they took Aaron's rod out and it had, it had budded and bloomed and brought forth almonds. And that was to be kept in the, in the uh, tabernacle there as, as a, a testimony uh, to, to God's, God's cho- uh, chosen way. But he was also illustrating and resurrect a dead, a dead piece of wood could bring forth new life. Uh, God was illustrating a great truth. It was typified in the Old Testament, the resurrection was. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. In Psalm 16, verse 10, For thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now let's turn to the book of Acts and uh, chapter number 2. The book of Acts chapter 2, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, see the fulfillment of this scripture in Psalm 16 and verse number 10. Acts chapter 2 and verse 25. And he says, uh, for, that's page 1151. And he said, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou hast made... Uh, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Now, uh, you know, because of that statement, that verse, some believe that Jesus Christ literally went to hell and burned for three days and nights. But the Bible says, he told the thief on the cross, today shall thou be with me in paradise. And we know that Jesus was in paradise there and, and in the, the place of the dead here. But uh, uh, he's speaking of the resurrection and uh, it is what he's talking about, uh, that uh, David is not speaking of himself, but he's speaking of Christ, that he would come forth uh, from the grave. David, of course, sepulcher is still there. Now, also in the book of Job, chapter 19, we have the resurrection spoken of in, in Job chapter 19. In Job uh, uh, chapter uh, 14, Job asked the question that's perplexed mankind for, from the beginning. If a man dies, shall he live again? That's, that's the question. Is, is there life beyond the grave? And in Job 19, God gives him the answer, page 581. Oh, that my words were now written. Verse 23. Oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and he, that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, 
Yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Well, he testifies to the resurrection here. Though the body is consumed, there's life beyond the grave. Yet in my flesh shall I see God. Let's read that verse again. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Now that necessitates a resurrection. I mean, once the body is devoured, is there hope of a resurrection? Job says there is. He considers, he talks about a tree. He cut a tree down and looks like for all practical purposes, everything's dead, but out of that stump will come forth a new tree. And God is saying that there's resurrection. Even though the body, the skin worms destroyed the body, even though all the flesh is devoured and there's nothing but bones left, there's going to be a resurrection just as sure as you're alive. I like Ezekiel 37, and I know Ezekiel 37 is talking about the resurrection of Israel. You know, uh, Israel is much in the news now. We certainly need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and pray for Israel and be a friend to Israel. But, uh, you know, the Arabs, uh, the, the problem is they don't understand that, uh, that you cannot destroy the Jewish people. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a fact. And, and uh, they're going to inherit the land sooner or later. That's, that's the fact. But, and that's the, the, the prophecy in Ezekiel 37. But uh, the Lord takes Ezekiel out there to a valley of dry bones. And he says, can these bones live? Well, what do you think? Here's a pile of very dry bones and can these bones live? Uh, Lord, you know, uh, Ezekiel doesn't realize. And he said, prophesy to these bones. And Ezekiel begins to preach to those bones, to prophesy to them. And there's a great shaking in the valley, and the bones begin to come together, and the, the muscle grows on them, and the flesh grows on them, and they stand up a great army. And he said, but there's no breath in him. And he said, can these bones live? And Lord, you know, he said, prophesy to them. And the Spirit of God comes and the breath enters into them. And he says, this is the nation of Israel scattered among the nations, but I'm going I'm to bring them back and I'm going to raise them up. But you know, I think there's a, a practical lesson there as well as a, a, a prophetic message. And that is that God, even though there's nothing but bones left, God's able to bring forth a resurrection. And so we have it, the resurrection typified. We have the resurrection prophesied. And then we have the resurrection exemplified in the preaching of Jesus Christ. He told us about the resurrection in uh, John chapter 2 uh, and verse number 18. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest those things, or these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. 
Well, he was talking about the resurrection of his body. He could certainly have raised that earthly temple up if he had chosen to do so. But he was speaking, the body of Jesus was a habitation of God. Then in the book of John chapter 10 and verse 17 and 18, Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus says I can lay my life down and I can take it back. Now listen, you can take your life. You can take a gun and blow your brains out. But you can't gather them back up. Jesus said I have the power to give up my life. I have the power to bring it back. He preached and prophesied of his resurrection. He was exemplified in his power. He had power over disease. He could heal the leper. He could open the blinded eyes. He could unstop the ears of the deaf. There was no disease too great for him. He had resurrection power. Think of that. An eye that could not see he could put sight back in that eye. He had power over disease. He had power over nature. He could speak to a stormy sea and the sea would obey him. The disciples marveled and said, what manner of man is this? And even the wind and the sea obey him. How would you like to have been there? I don't know why I'd like to have endured that storm, but I'd like to have seen that. <laughs> I'd like to have seen him calm the stormy sea. He had power over nature. He could, he could take five loaves and two fishes and feed a multitude. He had power over disease. He had power over nature. And he had power over death. Someone said no one ever died in the presence of Jesus and no one ever stayed dead in his presence. He raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead and uh, who had just died, they, they, they send for him, and he, when he arrived, they say, there's no use to bother. She's already dead. He said, she's not really dead. She's just asleep. And I want to tell you today, your loved ones, if they're saved, they're not really dead. Their body's just asleep. And they're very, very much alive. Boy, isn't that wonderful? I don't think I could live with thought that my loved ones were dead. <laughs> but I can that they're asleep. And uh, the, Lord, the Lord said, goes in there and, and raises the daughter of Jairus from the dead. He raises the widow's son from the dead. He interrupts their funeral possession. They're going out to bury him. And Jesus stops the, per the procession and raises him from the dead. Oh, they, they could say, well, they weren't really dead. They just thought they were dead. They weren't really dead. They, uh, they, they, they had just swooned or whatever. But then the case of Lazarus, that seals it. They say Lazarus is sick, and Jesus purposely doesn't go right away. He tarries, and Lazarus dies. And by the time Jesus gets there, they say he's been dead four days. And he's stinking. By this time he stinketh. And Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth! 
And Lazarus flies out of that tomb, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and Jesus says, loose him and let him go. I want to tell you, he had power over death. We have it exemplified in performance. You know, not only did he raise the dead, but he raised himself. No other event in history is attested to with such infallible proofs. Acts 1-3 says that, uh, that, let me just turn there and read it to you. Acts 1-3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you, let's say we had a funeral. And, uh, and here's the person, and, and they've been embalmed and, and all, and, and, and we've had their funeral, and, and we put them in the, in the grave. And three days later, someone says, you won't believe it. You won't know who I saw down in Marion. Now, I know you're not going to believe this. <laughs> the fellow, we had his funeral up at the church. I'm going to tell you, he's down in Marion walking around. Then a few days later, someone else comes along and says, you know who I saw down, down in Marion? And one person after person comes and says, says he's alive. Then you have 500 people. Listen, you, get, you can't get 500 people to agree on nothing. You have 500 people testify and say, I'll tell you, they're alive. We saw them. We talked to them. They're real. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is attested to with infallible proofs. That word infallible means unerring, never failing, incapable of making mistakes. And Jesus Christ made ten separate appearances before his ascension. He appeared to Mary Magdalene who mistakes him for the gardener. Uh, he appeared to the disciples, the Emmaus disciples there, and he appeared to the, uh, to the, uh, dis the ten disciples there, and, and they thought they had seen a spirit, and he, he invites them to handle him. He said, a spirit hath not flesh and bones that you see me have. People say the resurrection of Christ was a spiritual resurrection. Well, that, if you read Luke, you'll find it was not a spiritual resurrection. Jesus says he had flesh and bones. It was a fleshly resurrection. And besides, if it was only a spiritual resurrection, there was no, spirit, there was no resurrection at all because the Spirit of Jesus never died. The Spirit goes on living, doesn't it? If, 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 there, was, if there was a resurrection, it had to be a physical resurrection because that's all that dies is the body. Thomas wasn't there. They said, we've seen the Lord. He said, I don't believe it. I'll not believe it till I can put my finger in the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. And the next week, Jesus appears and Thomas is there. And Jesus says, Thomas, come over here. Put your finger in the print of the nails and thrust your hand into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God, I don't need to touch you. I know you're real. I know you're alive. He, uh, he made ten separate appearances uh, and uh, three times after his ascension he appeared. 
One writer said the stone at Jesus' tomb was but a pebble compared to the rock of ages inside. All the, listen, the, 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 the stone didn't have to be rolled away for Jesus to get out. The stone was rolled away for Peter and John to get in. <laughs> he was already out of there. The canon of the Holy Scripture tells us he's alive. Creation tells us he's alive. I don't know how you can look out at springtime. It's my favorite time of the year and not know that God's alive. He's written the promise of resurrection in every leaf of springtime. Look at the flowers blooming. Look at the buds swelling up and the leaves bursting forth. Wonder who's doing that. Wonder who's behind all that. You know what God is saying in his creation? You don't believe in the resurrection? Look, at, look, look around you. It's everywhere. Resurrection is happening. The birds are singing. I like to get out and whistle at the birds. My wife says, you can't whistle nearly as good as they can. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but uh, the creation, the creation tells us that he's alive. And if I can believe that a tree that, 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 is, that looks dead can, can bring forth new life, then I can believe in the resurrection. If I can believe Genesis 1-1, I don't have any problem with the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The Bible said the worlds were framed by the word of God. You, know, you want to know how he did it? He spoke it into existence. That's power, isn't it? Jesus proved his word when he calmed that stormy sea. All he had to do was say the word. When he raised Lazarus, all he had to do was say the word. And uh, Lazarus came forth. Creation says he's alive. Conscience tells us he's alive. Romans chapter 2. Someone wrote a song. You want to know, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. How do I know he's alive? There's the reality of the presence of God that lives inside of me. And there's nothing affects people like God's word and God's truth. Conscious tells us he's alive and listen, the coming resurrection testifies to the reality. God's going to prove to all the world one of these days that he's real, <laughs> that he's alive. The Bible says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I was thinking about that shout in John 5, 28 and 29, all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and they shall come forth, some to the resurrection of life and some to the resurrection of damnation, separated by a thousand years, Revelation 20. But the Bible said they'll hear his voice. John eleven forty three 43 says he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, Come forth. When he raised Jairus' daughter, he takes her by the hand and says, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. When he raises the widow's son, 
He stops the funeral procession and says, Arise! The Bible said the Lord shall ascend from heaven with a shout. What is he going to shout? I don't know exactly. I don't know where he's going to say, Arise! I don't know where he's going to say, Come forth! I don't know where he's going to shout, come up hither, as he did in Revelation 4, 1, and also Revelation 11, 12. But whatever he shouts, it's going to happen. Someone said if he had a, if he had a name Lazarus, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, everybody would have got up. I don't know. But I'll tell you, when Jesus calls those bodies of the saved out of the, out of the cemetery, they're going to get up from there. They no grave going to hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to get up out of that ground because they ain't no grave going to hold my body down. I want to tell you, when Jesus shouts from glory, those saints of God, the bodies of the saints, are going to burst forth out of that grave and come forth with new life and a glorified body. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The resurrection, everything we believe, everything we hope for is based on the truth and the fact of the resurrection. I've said there's two places I'd like to be if I could have my choice, the rapture. I'd like to be preaching about it. <laughs> I'd like to be preaching about heaven or about the rapture or I'd like to be staying in the cemetery where my loved ones are laid, their bodies. And the Lord calls from glory. <laughs> I know it's going to be very quickly, but you know that's going to be something. <laughs> well, it's going to be, listen, it won't really make any difference where I'm at. Because <laughs> when the Lord comes and I get my glorified body and they're resurrected and they'll get their glorified body, and we meet the Lord in the air. In fact, we meet one another in the air. Isn't that going to be something? Rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It's going to be something, isn't it? We'll be caught up together, and they'll be right there beside of us. Well, it's going to be wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. The greatest event in history, the world's greatest event, is the resurrection of Christ that we celebrate today because it guarantees our resurrection. And thank God for the hope we have. This old body is becoming diseased and wore out. And I don't look for any. They tell me I'm not going to get any better, only worse. That's all right. Because I have hope. I'm not going to live in this old body forever. Aren't you glad? I'm not going to have to put up with this, with this deteriorating body. I'm going to get a glorified body. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Let's bow our heads, please.